Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. All right, you guys, this episode brought to you by our friends at Noon Hydration. That's right, Noon was the first company to separate electrolyte replacement from carbohydrates. Yeah, that sounds complicated. That's why we leave it up to them. Before Noon, if you wanted electrolytes, the result was a bottle full of sugar. With their simple self-dissolving sugar-free electrolyte tab, they revolutionized the sports drink forever, ever, ever. Twelve years later, Noon Active Hydration is the number one selling sports drink tab in the cycling, running, and outdoor specialty, spe- good read, Pat, specialty marketplaces. As education about hydration and wellness grows, Noon has become more accessible to a wider range of people. They've expanded their product line from sports performance hydration to include two clean ingredient vitamin enhanced products for everyday use, all day hydration and you natural hydration, being on a bike, long day at the office or a day at home juggling kids. I can't be safe. Somebody's going to land on their head. Noon has a tablet in favor customized to help you stay healthy and hydrated. Based in Seattle, Washington, not far from here, sold in over 5,000 outlets in the U.S. and available in over 30 countries. In other words, you guys, my words now, it rocks. It comes in great flavors and even has caffeinated versions, which I adore around the 3 o'clock hour. Oh, and there are also cocktail recipes. I shit you not. Head over to noonlife.com and learn more. Good stuff, you guys. Speaking of good stuff, let's do the show. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast that makes you feel happier and more mellow than a Peter Sagan interview. That's right, it's the Pack Filler Podcast. In the studio, I am Pat Bulger. Did you guys see that interview? The post hit whatever you call it, newsblatt or whatever it is. I just call it the head volk because I'm old and that's what the radio always used to be called. Did you see the interview with Peter Sagan post? Sagan, Sagan. Depends on if you're asking Phil Luggett or not. It. Let me give you a little vision. It's as if American Flyers met Pineapple Express. And if that, if that meeting of American Pi- Flyers and Pineapple Express, American Express, let's call it, and 
they produced a baby. And that baby starred in Castaway. That is really close to how you would get to in this interview. Seriously, all Peter needed was a bong and a volleyball to make my vision of his interview perfect. It was the best stoner episode you could ever imagine. Uh, Apparently, weed is now a performance enhancer. It was brilliant. I don't know why I loved it, but I did. (laughs) It was honestly, uh, you know, as you kids say, it was a laugh out loud moment watching him do this. I think he just answered a question with a quick, first of all, his his voice is kind of nasally, you know. Ow. And, and that's how he answered the first question. It's, I can't remember even what the question was. It was like, you know, are you unhappy with the second place or something like that? And, Ow. <laughs> Do you think the, the new team management, you know, seeing their logo all over his body and he just pauses in this big scruffy beard. He did look like Tom Hanks when he was stuck on the island, about as thin too. And he just looked at the guy, paused, and just went, no. <laughs> you think they're all going, yeah, really glad we invested in that. Really good, good purchase there. <laughs> but he won Kern, Brussels Kern the, the next day. So, um, and if I got the race wrong, fuck you, you, you elitist asshole. Just, just go with me. He won the race the next day. And, um, you know. I just love what he's doing to pro cycling. I love how he's shaking things up and just being him and in his own style. <laughs> Last year, he's, he rode a good portion of the early season with hairy legs, pissing people off left and right. <laughs> oh, he's fun. He's fun. And I know there are probably haters out there who wish for the old days and the traditionalists, but I think he's just funnier than shit. And he's fast. He, you know, so he... He's making it up. He's 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 actually you know. He's he's earning it, <laughs> the right to act like he's acting. Fun shit. So how are you guys doing? Another episode. I know it. You know they're coming a little bit spaced in between, and I know that's the the death of a podcast if you actually just don't keep consistency because you people are just apparently like baby birds in a nest. You know, give me lining up these people is not easy. All right. We got time in, times changes and stuff like that, and these people have busy schedules. So you know, and I know you don't like it when it's just me for an hour. So we're a little gaps in between, but we're doing it. All right, we're not going anywhere. Just so in case you know, I have been attempting training. I always got to update my my truth, my uh, my attempts to uh, escape normality. As you guys might know, last episode I said I was considering um, breaking a very large law in natural law and competing in an event that included running. I know. The apocalypse is nigh. I was thinking about the duathlon nationals in Bend, Oregon this June. Notice I said that in past tense. <laughs> you guys, I've been doing the running. I've been doing some. It's snow here. Um, for those of you who don't know, we are in an endless winter, and I don't think uh, um, we're going to see an end to it anytime soon. Punxsutawney Phil can kiss my ass. And um, so I've been doing a lot of running indoors. And for those of you putting on those spikes on your shoes and going out and bouncing all over the place, congratulations. You're, you're definitely a better person than I am. But I've been, I've been doing the running indoors and trying to do that. 
And I'm starting to realize I've made it have made probably a huge mistake in agreeing to do this this event. It's not that I can't do it. It's not that I can't run. I mean, in my day, I, I was able to get around, you know, probably around this between the six and the six half six and a half minute mile mark. You know, that was uh, a few years back when my wife and I did this uh, um, Hood to Coast race in Oregon, a kind of a team relay thing. And, I, you know, I was clicking along pretty well there. You know, it's not super fast, but it's fast enough for me. Um, but I've, I've just realized it's not that I can't do it. It's that I hate it. I just do. It's just the, 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 what it does to your body. It takes forever. It hurts. It's monotonous. Indoor running is more monotonous than out than indoor cycling. And I just, the pounding, I just, I don't like getting off or finished with a workout and feeling like I've done something wrong. Yeah, I know you perfectionists are probably saying, well, you need to, you know, focus on your stride and learn proper running technique and buy these shoes for $385 or, uh, you know, I've, I've done all that. I just, I don't like feeling like shit when I finish a workout. I like feeling tired, all that stuff, but it's just the pain. I don't know why. And not to mention, I am not, if you've ever met me, I am not a wiry runner build I'm not one of those skinny, long-legged kind of people that just kind of bounce like a gazelle and cross the Serengeti. I'm going to have to rethink this. I don't know. I might have to back down from that initial plan. I'm not copping out yet. But uh, ever since, over the last couple weeks, not ever since, just over the last couple weeks, I'm feeling like this this is a year of riding in new places. Maybe maybe preparation for Leadville last year kind of inspired something or lit a fire or something like that. But I'm thinking of big rides in different locations with fun people. Not necessarily organized events. I probably do need to do some because when you sign up for an organized event, it, it motivates you to, to get out there and prepare more. I have a bunch of buddies who are planning on a trip in, um, I think, in August that is an organized gravel ride. It's a race slash ride. It's not a Fondo because I, I don't know, but I think it's a little bit tougher than that. It's got, you know, the 10,000 feet of climbing kind of things like that. So that, those kind of events are what's kind of where I'm, I'm leaning toward. Maybe I'm getting old. I guess maybe, not maybe, I am old. Racing flat out just doesn't sound fun anymore. I guess, you know, that I've spent over 30 years racing flat out. Sometimes it's okay to consider something new. I want to get out and kind of explore more. Like Truman Burbank from the Truman Show. I want to explore. But they just keep me on that island. Is this what a midlife crisis sounds like? Have I reached that point? Don't get me wrong. I don't want to buy a sports car or cheat on my wife. And I have no plans on growing facial hair. Because that's the classic, you know, hey, nice mustache. Nice convertible. Nice cocktail waitress girlfriend. Sorry. Although I, I, I do want a new bike and a camper van. <laughs> is that my midlife crisis? <laughs> Funny thing is, though, the new bike is for my wife and the camper van is to go on trips with her. So so I guess I'm okay. It's, it's a harmless midlife crisis. My wife and I see her. We're becoming empty nesters this summer. So maybe that's it. 
It's time for the twin bathtubs and Cialis commercials, right? Ah, oh, this is what happens. This is what I'm thinking my cycling career needs. I guess I could ask you guys this. Maybe this will help me out. What epic rides are out there that would include great views, cool towns, fun people, and really good beer? That's what my cycling career needs. Send me those ideas. Bring them to me. And don't tell me I'm being a pussy for not doing the duathlon nationals in Bend. I'm not saying no, but I'm just having a really tough time in the snow with, with putting running shoes on. There. Speaking of which, uh, much of the motivation for this show came from uh, today's interview. Shawnee Van Lanningham. She has perfected the dream. And in my version, she has. She's a kick-ass career followed by a kick-ass retirement of sorts. You guys, she actually did the interview at a campsite where she was staying in her camper van, I'm assuming on a riding trip. In fact, the first three or four times I called her, I conduct these interviews over Skype, we had connection problems, which which can only mean that probably she was someplace cool looking at a view, you know, in one of those kind of camper chairs with a... A, a cup of something she's she's enjoying. You know, it's just that like a fucking Bev Doolittle painting or something like that. She has a lot going on and seems to always have been really cool perspective. And she was fun to talk to once she could finally hear me. So today's interview, Shawnee Van Lanningham, mountain biker, extraordinaire, off-road triathlete do not you got to hear her responses when i ask her about road <laughs> just how quick the responses come i'm not going to spoil her shawnee van lanningham on the pack filler podcast before we get to that though do not forget our friends at mancan.com craft beer in your fridge that does not go flat seriously you go fill this bad boy at your local pub or a growler fill place you bring it home you put a little happy nitrogen in it you stick it in your fridge it doesn't take up the whole space so your spouse or significant other doesn't kill you because they've got this ugly brown bottle sitting in the fridge no it's shiny it looks kind of modern it looks cool and it tastes great thanks to our friends at man can for being a part of the show go over to packfiller.com click on the man can logo and get one of those bad boys they're delicious shawnee van lanningham pack filler All right, you guys, today's guest has spent her career pretty much going fast. She's arguably one of the most successful riders in off-road history, 15 national race wins, seven-time national team member, three-time national cross-country champion, the 2005 national short track champion, and to top it off, a world Xterra champion in 2010. Man, that's a, I'm exhausted already saying all that. Welcome to the show to Shawnee Van Lanningham. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. You bet. So, okay, so um, t- just to kind of get a little, I-, I like to start with a little perspective here. Um, I've done some research over the over the past couple weeks trying to figure out, you know, a little bit of a background on you. You have an extensive history as an athlete. Um, how does one go from a full basketball scholarship to a world-class cyclist? <laughs> wow, you have done your, your uh, homework. <laughs> Yeah, I played basketball in college back in the uh, early 90s and played a little bit in Brazil. And then uh, 
And then, I, you know, I, I moved to Hawaii after college and became a, a bike tour guide. And I realized that people were racing as professionals and, and making a living. So I decided I might like to try that. So I think it was just, it just kind of happened and, and it worked out. I grew up riding motorcycles and I think that transitioned pretty well for me on the mountain bike. Okay. That, that explains something because, um, well, first of all, I got to find out what, you know, what prompted you to be able to go to Hawaii, but, um, to be able to, you, you you start racing at 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 around twenty eight years old, according to what I've found out, and then you're you're pro at yeah. twenty nine. Um, that's right. a that's a pretty damn quick transition into the, into the pro ranks. Um, either either you know you have a great background through motorcycling, or or you're an extremely quick learner. Well, you know, I realized that I started the sport so late, I, I didn't have much time. So I, I was trying to make myself a quick study and, and uh, you know, dedicate myself and, and get to the get to the pro ranks pretty quickly. Because, you know, at that time, we thought that was old to become a professional. But now we realize that professionals peak, at least the women, probably in their mid to late 30s. So it actually worked out pretty well for me. Now, was it, did it come quickly? Did it come easily? I mean, I, yes, you've had, you've done some work in Hawaii on the bike, but um, to go from that to, to a pro is, is, is a huge jump. It, it really is a huge jump, you know, and I moved from Hawaii to Durango, Colorado, which ah. we had, you know, a, a lot of really fast riders at that time. We still do in Durango. So I, I tried to ride with, fast people and learn as quickly as I, I could. And I think the high altitude climbing really helped me with my fitness. And then the skills kind of came along. I think my fitness was uh, pro level before my skills. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> we would race on the West coast and I'd do really well at Mammoth and Big Bear. And then we'd go to the East coast and I would be, you know, in the twenties because my skills just weren't up to par. So oh. it took me a few years to get the skills up to my fitness level. Now, how long was it until you were really thinking, okay, this is it? Not only am I pro, but I'm I'm going to go for some for some wins here. I mean, to be able to, I, you know, I'm sorry, I'm just I'm I'm impressed like hell to be able to go from like, oh yeah, let's do this to, hey, I'm <laughs> kicking ass here. <laughs> well, you know, I was I really was an unknown to myself showing up at my first Norba National back then. They were Norbas. Yeah. And uh, uh, it was my first uh, pro race, and I believe it was Big Bear. And I got on the podium. I was fourth. So I thought, well, you know, it was really wow. encouraging to me because I thought, well, maybe maybe this is something I can pursue and actually, you know, make a living at it and, and uh, hopefully have a, you know, substantial career at least for, you know, at that time I thought maybe five years, but it turned wow. into about 15 years. Yeah. Now, um at that time too, when you when you really got into the sport and things like that, it was. I mean, I still talk about that that window of of mountain bike racing where where things were just. I mean, everything started with you know the Julie Furtado years and and growing up and and you were in a, a really big time of the sport when you were just kind of coming into fruition. First of all, what what club mm-hmm. and team were you? Did you start off with, and then how did that transition to Luna come? I started off with KHS. Okay. They had a, a national team for one year, and um, they kind of took a chance on me. 
and I was really appreciative of that. I really was given a great opportunity there. And I raced with them my first year. That was in 1999. And then I raced with that Sobe Cannondale team, oh, which yeah. I believe was in existence for five or six years. I spent uh, three years with them. And then after that, Luna approached me and I moved over to Luna and finished my career with them. Okay. Um, now, during that time, the sport went through quite a bit of changes, We, you know, in terms of the popularity, in terms of the style of racing. Um, from your experience, uh, what do you see as, as changes that has happened since, since the years you were really solidly in, involved in the situation and, and what you're seeing now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. You know, I did see that. I kind of got in on the tail end of probably the height of mountain bike racing and kind of saw that, you know, the popularity waning a bit. And um, at that point, Xterra racing was really taken off. And that was one of the reasons I switched over was somewhat a business decision, you know, just being, making a living at it. You kind of have to consider that side of things. Really? Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, but, but yeah, you know, I think it's with any sport, you know, everybody is really enthusiastic about racing and then they kind of, do that and then they're, they're kind of over it and they they still ride but maybe they don't necessarily race yeah and I've, we've seen that with mountain biking and then you know now it seems like the big thing is uh spartan racing and yeah. crossfit and you know those are kind of reaching their peaks at this time now when you were so competitive in, and i'm i can't wait to talk about xterra i'm so glad you brought it up um to be so competitive and so consistent for several years there you were you know winning you were kicking ass i mean and to be able to um maintain that consistency had to take something specific was there something that that you were able to was it you know i I, you know a spirit a competitive drive i hate to use those type of deep meaningful things but obviously your work as a dietitian might have thrown into something there to be able to maintain that level at such high levels well definitely you know i i um I, I got my degree in nutrition, and, and that, that helped me on a personal level. I've not worked in that field, um, but but it did help me a lot. I think nutrition and recovery is, is very important, as important as the training. So, um, you know, I really think I, I really was fortunate enough to have enough sponsors to where I could yeah. focus on racing, and I wasn't, you know, having to split my time and and working another job to pay my bills. So I think that was, that was quite important. And then just, you know, I love competition and have always been an athlete coming up and as a kid, and it was just really a dream come true. I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity and I was able to make a living for so long and meet so many great people, travel the world. It's yeah. just, I really feel blessed. Yeah. Well, and and you hit that concept of being able to make a living doing it. I mean, you're not hearing that as much in both men's and women's cycling, especially on a domestic level, and and it's it's really, I, I don't know where the sport's headed in that direction, but to be able to be consistently making a strong living where you can focus on the sport is really something special. Absolutely, it's yeah. you know it, it's really just the top top tier that is able to do that, which. It's great for the top tier, but it's it's quite a disadvantage for those that aren't able to do that because they're having to split their time and 
and they can't recover as well. So I definitely recognize the differences there. Yeah. Were, were there any specific writers or people who um, got you involved that you, you worked with? Is there anybody you could, I guess, say, wow, that person really helped me develop into the, into the pro I became? And were there any kind of writers that you, you were close to in your years on the circuit? Well, you know, back in the probably 99 through the mid-2000s, there were quite a few pros from Durango I was riding with. Yeah. Uh, Missy Giovi, Elka Broussart, who were at that time the top downhill women for the U.S. And uh, and then, you know, later I was a teammate with Marla Streb, who was also one of the top downhillers. So I had a lot of really, really great training partners and the downhillers because they can help you so much with your skills, you know, this cross country has become so, so much more technical through the years. And then, you know, and in Durango, there's Ruthie Mathis was there at that yeah. time. Uh, we just had so many great athletes there, just mentors and just people to aspire to, you know, kind of do what they did. And I was just really fortunate in that way, living in Durango. Is there anybody you really, really wanted to beat every time in specific? <laughs> like, I, I kick her, but. Well, you know, I, I really didn't, I, I never really felt that way toward my competitors. Really? Um, you know, sometimes somebody would say something that would kind of irritate you. I, I think if anybody yeah. was mean to me or talking trash to me, that's definitely motivation, and that comes from <laughs> basketball probably. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, I really got along well with everyone, and and uh, we, you know, we raced hard on the on the course, and then we were pretty much friends off the off the course. Really? Now, did did the road ever tempt you in any way, shape, or form, other than maybe training? No, no, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Not quick answer. <laughs> <laughs> I had some, you know, I obviously trained on the road, but yeah. um, I think the only road race. I did was tour the Gila, okay. um, and that was a great training race. Yeah. And then uh, one year I did uh, Redlands. And besides those, I, you know, I may have done some local World of Iron Horse that was in Durango. I'd always do that. But uh, yeah, I didn't do much road racing. Really? So the move to Xterra, you mentioned earlier it was a. I, you know, you said it was almost a, a career decision to be able to do something like that just because maybe things were trailing off on the highs end of, of mountain bike racing. Um, that can't be an easy transition either, though, because, yeah, sorry, transition, bad choice of words when you're talking about triathlon. <laughs> but what was that switch like, and and was it easy? You know, it was a, a really big challenge, which I think at that point I was ready for. You know, I've, I've been racing the Norma circuit for eight years, and uh, and and it was great. And I'm not saying that wasn't a challenge anymore, but I had done that, and I was kind of looking for something different. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, being a business decision, I decided to switch to Xterra. And I, uh, I think I did my first Xterra was, uh, in 2006, maybe at the end of my mountain bike career, or I'm sorry, my mountain bike season. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. You know, I, I managed to get through the mile swim. <laughs> oh man. And then, uh, was super strong on the bike and then kind of lost a few spots in the run. But I realized that maybe with a little training, I could rise to the top. So 
that's what I did. And, and, uh, yeah, it was great. I really enjoyed that switching to Xterra. And it, and it seems like once again, it was a quick, it was a quick change and it was a quick, be able to move up. And then you, you know, you won to, to go from just kind of, Oh yeah, let's give this a shot. And to win in the worlds is, is a, again, a quick jump. Well, thank you. I I made it my goal that in three years I would win the world championship. And, really? You know, people probably thought I was crazy, but <laughs> I um, worked super hard on the swimming. That was the biggest challenge for yeah. me. Well, as, and then I had a little bit of running background, so that came pretty naturally. But the swim was tough. I'm as somebody who has. I mean, I personally have just a, a 99% cycling background, and I've tried a couple triathlons. And I know that people who get involved in the sport, that swim is the most daunting element of it. And um, did did you have any swim experience, or was it to I just to start a triathlon with? Did you have to have any prior swim experience other than just kind of going out and having fun? I guess. Well, I I really didn't have any <laughs> swimming experience. Although when I was in college, I took a swim class. And I okay. Said, I'm going to take this class because one day I want to do a triathlon. Which <laughs> <laughs> is funny because I had no idea what that would turn into. But um, I think in college, uh, we. Uh, you know, our final exam was to swim a mile without stopping, and I thought, I could never do that. But yeah. sure enough, by the end of the semester, just with, you know, daily work at it, you... Wow. It's uh, it's definitely a learned skill, and I, I don't... I, I definitely didn't become an expert swimmer, but I became fast enough to be within striking distance to catch up on the bike and the run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now, did you ever... Here, I asked the same question about your mountain bike career. Did you ever consider the other form of triathlon road try yeah no 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 i didn't <laughs> no i just you know i just love mountain biking and okay. probably growing up riding motocross yeah it's just just you know i just love being on the terrain of, yeah. of the dirt and and really the challenge of the terrain was was more interesting to me than just the challenge of just the competitors. So I think that's what kept me on the mountain bike and not competing on the road. Are the competitors themselves different? You know, I did find that it seemed mountain biking and Xterra compared to road racing and road triathlons, people seemed a little more laid back. I mean, yeah. not necessarily on the race course, but after the race, more like-minded for sure. Okay. Um, than the road, not saying, you know, bad, bad about road. No, not at athletes, all. Yeah. But I just tended to connect more with the mountain bike athletes and the Xterra athletes. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I've met, uh, world champion level and, and talked with people like yourself, um, who are, off-road and and at that elite level and then I talked to some high-end road riders and it is a different mentality when when you're off the bike um and I I don't know if it's just a specific draw or a personality trait that draws them to that specific style of cycling but it's interesting seeing that especially like you said when they're off the bike yeah I, I find that to be true you know just through my years of meeting road athletes and mountain bike athletes it's uh it's really interesting you're right i yeah. think uh 
different personalities gravitate to, to one or the other. Yeah. So you, you obviously didn't, haven't stopped since, but at, at what year did you decide, you know, enough of this, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I guess we could put retire in quotation marks. <laughs> I retired in 2015. Okay. So it ha- hasn't been long, but what is, what has been keeping you going and what has kind of filled your calendar since that day? Well, you know, right when I retired, I um, I went and down to Texas, and I, that's where I'm from, and I built two spec houses. I've always wanted to do that, so I was the general contractor and built two mm-hmm. homes and, and obviously subbed it out. I don't have the skills myself, but I hired the, the best people with the skills <laughs> <laughs> and built those homes and sold those. So that, that was a kind of a goal that I had and was able to to build those and, and sell them uh, in a strong market down there. So that kept me busy the first summer I was retired. And then uh, since then, I've cruised around in my camper van. I've been traveling to some places I didn't have time to go to before, riding my bike in some places that I didn't have time to just ride, you know, without yeah. being on a training schedule. Went to New Zealand for a few weeks, did some riding down there, and, and now I'm uh, – I'm heading to Nepal in March. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm really glad you mentioned that because I uh, was reading about this Endure Nepal concept and this project. Um, can you tell me what what some of that stuff is about? Yeah, you bet. It's um, a humanitarian effort and film that we're doing in Nepal. I've teamed up with four other ladies, and we are going there for about four weeks. And we are um, working with a group over there called the Ladies Mountain League. And they are uh, training Nepali women to be bike tour guides, climbing guides, and trekking guides to empower women there and give them more employment opportunities because they really don't have, you know, a whole lot uh, there for women. So we're going to go over there and work with that group. And uh, I'll I'll be teaching a two-day mountain bike clinic those ladies getting more women on the bikes and uh we're also doing a bike packing trip into some of the small remote villages we'll be helping build a school in one of those and uh, also bringing in some hard goods to, to give to some of those families that are in need there Wow. Okay. I'm glad you're taking it slowly. Um, this is <laughs> this is obviously something that's intended to make a big difference from what I've been reading about, you know, in dealing with um, aftermath of earthquakes and, and, and such like that and damages like yeah. that. What, yeah. um, what is the, you know, is, is there a, what brought this project about, I guess, is what I could ask. Um, at what point does somebody come up to you and say, hey, we're going to, we're going to Nepal and we're going to teach this concept of cycling. I mean, it's a very original concept. Yes. Uh, Julie Cornelius come, came up with this idea. She's from Phoenix originally. Now she's a bike tour guide at Moab. And uh, she got a group of ladies together and she had this vision of going over there and helping um, with the earthquake. And originally that's what the project was because yeah. it was right after the earthquake and they were going to go over and, and do what they, they could and, and bring a film crew along to, to document this, you know, trip and hopefully bring it back to the U S to, to show to, to Americans to, you know, like Nepal's okay. You can still go there. Okay. You know, tourism is such a big part of their economy and, and they've really struggled because people, 
weren't going there because of these earthquakes, which is understandable. Yeah. So that was her original idea, and then it's kind of grown into this uh, partnership with this women's group there. And uh, she invited me to come along uh, the first year when it was, you know, in its inception. So yeah, I'm really uh, honored to be a part of the team. I'm I'm so thankful she invited me, and now I'm fully immersed. And we've we've been working for about a year now, getting sponsors for the film, and uh, so we have our flights now, and I'm <laughs> taking off in March. Obviously, some sort of a documentary style of a feel to it. Um, do you, is there a timeline on, you know, films, uh, every film I've ever been with is, is obviously twice as long as you hope it would be because it just, <laughs> that's how m- making movies is. But is there a timeline and a plan on of action on what to do with this and where to take it once it's completed? Yes, uh, we will be shooting the film from March 20th through probably April 5th. And our uh, team, our film crew, will be editing uh, for for a few months and probably have the final product at the end of this year. And so then they will enter it into film festivals gotcha. for 2018. So hopefully people will be seeing it across the country in different film festivals next year. Wow. Okay. Okay. Good. It's just so <laughs> we know where we can kind of catch a catch an idea of what's going on. <laughs> sure. Because making documentaries is such an interesting f- concept because you never really can control what is going to happen in your story. It it just kind of unfolds as it unfolds. And uh, I think with what you guys are tackling and and the concepts and the and the cause, I guess you want to go after is 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 pretty. You know, it, it's monumental, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah, you know, we're really hoping that we can make an impact over there and just, you know, get there and do what we can. I'm sure our plans will kind of change once we're there and see what's really needed. Um, But, um, yeah, hopefully we'll come back with a a really nice uh, film and we'll be able to share our experience uh, next year in some of these film festivals. We've had some great backing with some sponsors rocky mountain bikes have given us sherpa bikes which is okay <laughs> fitting <laughs> and so we'll be riding rocky mountain bikes we've got um, um big agnes is is helping us with our bike packing gear rogue panda is helping us with our bike packing bags we've got evox travel cases prana clothing mavic uh, envy uh, sponsored us with some wheels and, and bike components, so we really have a lot of support. We're we're really wow. thankful for these teams that we're working with wow. to get this project off the ground. That that's you know, and that kind of I guess could that's really great because it kind of leads me to where I wanted to also ask you here um, in terms of. Um, uh, women in sport. You were a very prominent athlete in in multiple different styles of sport, um, and. I've talked to some other women who have talked about the difficulties of what it, how it is in terms of equality in sport. And can I ask you, if, in your opinion, if what you, what your thoughts are on that in terms of um, how it is set up? Is is the industry, is the sport uh, fair to to women competitors and women participants? Well, you know, I think we've seen the sport evolve and it really has come a long way even since I started racing professionally in 1999. Um, I think personally I was very fortunate to have uh, the Luna Pro Team. You know, I was on that team for 12 years 
and retired with that team. And they treat they treated us and continue to treat their athletes really well, you know, paying us enough uh, salary to 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 live and also to thrive, not just to get by. You yeah. Know? So that that they've really set the set the bar and and set a really high standard. So that's you know hopefully we'll see more of that um, with other teams, and I'm sure some other teams are. are treating their women, you know, equally as, as, as the Luna team did. But, you know, I'm just, I'm just really thankful that I was able to, to be a part of that team. Okay. So do you see anything else that, that might be going on? I mean, I, I talked to a, an athlete a while ago who was expressing her frustration about the concepts that an industry, um, an industry effort to make things more women, more suitable for women would be to, you know, take a bike, make it smaller and paint it pink and call it women's specific design. Um, is, do you, have you run into any stuff like that? I know you probably have companies you want to, you know, you don't want to step on any toes, but, um, do you have any thoughts on that kind of stuff? Well, you know, uh, as far as I know, most of the, the larger bike companies have done that. They have women specific geometry and, and, you know, and really not, not all women want to ride a pink bike. They just want a bike that fits. (laughs) (laughs) So I, you know, again, I really think the industry has come a long way. And, uh, for these girls that are coming up now, it's, you know, they, they're experiencing a totally different world of mountain biking than we did back when we started. Yeah, we talk about the fact that um, cross-country races, for example, used to be uh, much larger loops, much different styles of terrain, and and what you're seeing now in cross-country style racing is almost the equivalent of a short track, but with a lot more technical elements thrown in. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Do you like it? Is it something you wish we would go back to the old style or anything like that? Well, you know, I think probably the majority of athletes would prefer the old style yeah. because it's more fun to do an epic big loop. But when you're trying to, you know, market the sport to the public, it makes sense to do shorter loops that are easier to film Yeah, and, you know, make it more technical because it's more exciting. So I totally understand the transition. I, I don't really know that the athletes would prefer it, but I think the athletes also understand the reason it's kind of transitioned into what it is now. Yeah. Do, do you see it ever kind of making it? Well, I don't know. I guess we've talked, I've talked to some people about the concepts of maybe cross country racing is this is where it's going to be because it needs to be almost like a glorified road criterium or a cross between a, a, a old style cross country race and a cyclocross race. Um, is there, are there new styles of racing that might evolve out of that, that we might have a cross country, uh, you know, I, I even, you know, the 24 hour race concept is what comes to mind where we have that larger loop feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Epic Rides, they have several great events, the whiskey race in Prescott, Arizona. They've got this Carson city race, which I believe they started last year. And they also do the 24 hours of Old Pueblo. Um, they've got one now in Grand Junction. So really, if that's the type of racing that you like as an athlete, it is yeah. out there. You know, it may not be the one that's going to be televised like the World Cups. Yeah. But it is nice to have that other style of racing again. Yeah. I, I, I'm i an old school guy. I guess I miss it. So. 
Just, <laughs> yeah, need, me too. I and, prefer the big loops, but you know, I'm in it for the ride, really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good, good philosophy. Hey, um, I, I, and I'm, I'm switching gears again, and I mean this as a term of endearment because it's very close to my heart. But I have been told that you are quite the coffee snob. <laughs> yes, I have become a little bit of a, a coffee connoisseur, I suppose. You know, I had a, Wait, a small co- coffee farm. Yeah, I was going to say connoisseurs don't own a coffee farm. <laughs> You're a little bit well, above and beyond. You know, <laughs> yeah. Maybe it, it started as a coffee connoisseur, but I kind of fell into I bought a house on the Big Island and it had coffee trees on this, you know, the property, and I ended up planting more trees and kind of created. Uh, my own brand with my partner, and we we um, sold it for a while, and then we ended up um, selling the brand and and the trees. So <laughs> we it was a fun run for a little bit. Would it? Yeah, that uh, just to be able to go into that. I I have a big history with coffee. When I was out of college, I was a roaster and stuff like that. So it's I I, I love I, I use the term coffee snob as a term of endearment. I promise. <laughs> So, oh, I'm not offended. Okay, good. Hey, so, so I, I would say I'm a coffee snob. I like good coffee. Good. Okay. So with this, uh, with the film coming up, and with all your other endeavors and things like that is, are going on, um, if an average Joe like myself or somebody wanted to kind of follow the progress or keep up with you or see what's going on, um, mm-hmm. how do they do that? Sure. How do they keep going? Well, you know, one of our first sponsors to sign on with our project is um, Club Ride Apparel. And they have committed to posting updates on their website. So I think that would probably be the go-to uh, website to, to keep up with what we're doing. Obviously, when we're in Nepal, we'll have limited Internet, but we're going to get you know updates out as, as much as possible. And uh, Club Ride is, is um, on board to uh, get that out there. So following on their website would be probably the, the go-to spot. Okay. That sounds fair. Um, good luck on this. This sounds like a really, uh, a really cool opportunity. It sounds like a really cool trip. I can't wait to see the the type of terrain you guys are riding over. When when people think of Nepal, they think of of Everest. They think of major climbs uh, like that, um, and not any of the other types of of terrain. I guess I don't, but uh, it should be mm-hmm. it should be a neat thing to see and follow along. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've learned a lot about Nepal just you know, doing our research research and um, figuring out our logistics. We're going to be in the Solu region, which is the area just below Everest. And um, I guess it's quite a a mountain biking mecca. They've really uh, increased their mountain bike tourism over there. And uh, we're we're looking forward to checking out some of that terrain. I I have a feeling we'll be doing some hike biking. There's (laughs) definitely some steep (laughs) sections. And when you're riding from you know, 10,000 to 12,000 feet, there's not too much oxygen in the air. So (laughs) we'll get a, we'll get a slow motion view (laughs) of the mountains there, but I'm sure it'll be epic. Oh, good God. Well, good luck. I I got one last question (laughs) just because I'm, I've, you, you mentioned something else that was close to my heart. What, what is your camper van? (laughs) You know what? I love my camper van. And it's so funny because everybody's driving around in these new camper vans, yeah. you know, these like fancy Ford transits and sprinters. And oh, I bought this van in Moab about 15 years ago. And it was just a, like a delivery van. It's a Ford Econoline extra long. <laughs> and my parents and I kitted it out. We, we insulated it, paneled it. And 
and put a full-size bed and a little sink and oh. it's totally you know equipped for for my needs so it's uh it's dear to my heart oh <laughs> my what my parents helped me build it so i'm just having the best time cruising around i just didn't have enough time when i was racing to use it so now i'm i'm giving giving to uh use it now and <laughs> visit a lot of friends and ride a lot of places i'm just very very blessed to be in this position this is my dream uh, my wife and i are about to become empty nesters and our dream is a, cam- a really oh, nice right? camper van and awesome. to be able to go out oh, and man. do some of that stuff so well, yeah, sh- sh- I highly recommend it. It's it's the new it's the new craze. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying I'm just a bandwagoner now, is what you're saying? I understand. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I'm definitely more nomadic. I mean, I was pretty nomadic when I was racing, yeah. but now I'm even more more nomadic. Oh my it's, god! It's a great time. Well, uh, Shawnee, it, it's it's been awesome watching you compete, and I can't wait to see what this this next endeavor has in store for you. Um, and and thanks again for you know for the listener who didn't know, I you and I've been bouncing emails back and forth trying to make a time work. Uh, before we got this phone call going, it took me four tries to be able to for you to be able to hear me on the other line. And uh, your patience <laughs> is great, and your career's been fun to watch. Thanks so much for being on. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I hope to visit with you again, maybe after the Nepal trip. Oh, sold. See, you guys, what did I tell you? You want to live the Shawnee life, don't you? I sure as hell do. So hopefully maybe we'll be able to get to uh, uh, chat with her after she returns from the trip and the documentary and see it like that and have an opportunity to find out where that documentary is going to be available for those of us who don't get to go to the really cool film festivals. You know, those people who get to go to the film festivals, they're like the people who used to work in the record store when you were younger. For the millennials, shut the hell up. These record stores were places where all the cool people worked, and we just went there to pretend we wanted to be cool and leaf through records. It's like iTunes, but you actually got to hold and own your music. God, I'm old. But she, the, the film festivals, I'd love to see some of those too. So hopefully we'll be able to find out where we can get a hold of that and see what's going on. Before I go, you guys, do me a favor. Tell your friends about the show. Go on iTunes. Rate me. Judge me however you feel I deserve. Send me a tweet, pack filler. Send me a Facebook post, pack filler. Or email me with your thoughts, guest ideas, and such. Patrick at packfiller.com. No man is an island. I need your help. Is there anybody out there? See you guys next time. Thanks a lot. <laughs>